Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Crunch of Numbers, our podcast from Lisbon Investment Society about finance. I am your host, David Tita, and today we'll join, uh, we are joined by Professor Clara Raposo, mm. Dean Avizeg, and I asked you that you join us to dive into finance. <laughs> so, starting off, Professor Clara, be most welcome to a place that is basically yes. our home and yours for over... It's beautiful uh, and... Um, almost a decade now. Uh, more than a decade. More than a decade. <laughs> Incredible. And yes. you've been dean for three years now. I've exactly. been dean for a little over three years yeah. by now. So Just uh, during the summer was uh, the period? It was like um, I, signed, I swore in mm -hmm. on the 6th of July. That's 2018. That so, oh, remember I remember forever. that. I rem I'll remember that date forever. Okay, so I'll never forget that. My so life changed a lot. Can you walk us a little bit through your career path? Okay, so um, I can tell you a little bit about, about you know what I've done. I've never left school, so that's something. <laughs> that's something that's that's very special for uh, quite a few academics. So in my case, I didn't really plan things. Okay, so that's important to know. It's things that ha have happened to me, and my career has evolved based on um, the daily basis and on, on my performance in our, daily, uh, in our daily routine. So I did a first degree in uh, economics, not here at ISAC, at another school, mm -hmm. um, and I was a good student, okay? Well, I was well, like, <laughs> no, no, I was a good student. Not that I studied a lot, but I always had things under control, right. more or less. So, so I didn't really choose anything. So I was invited to stay as a teaching assistant and then um, decided to do a master's because it seemed natural for someone. At that time, it wasn't so obvious that we would do a master's immediately after yeah. the first degree. It was a four-year bachelor's mm -hmm. degree. So I decided to do a master's and to go abroad. So went to London, did a master's in economics at the University of London at Queen Mary College. And then during the master's, I decided to do a PhD, so okay. it was all decided based on performance, like my professors of finance in the masters uh, told me that he thought I should go for a PhD, so everything, everything last minute, I decided all these things pretty much last minute, so I decided to do a PhD in finance at the London Business School, and that went well for long years. It's a very lonely period in our lives to, to go through a, a doctoral program. Yeah. And then at some point, uh, I would have to choose a proper career. But after all that effort in academia, let's go for an academic career. So, and I really started my academic career as a professor in Oxford at the University of Oxford. So I applied there uh, when the business school was starting. So those were very interesting years. And then at some point, in a moment of you know craziness, um, I felt homesick. I had been in England for eight years and it was becoming very permanent so I decided to um, come back home. At the time I came to a different school, not mm -hmm. the same where I studied, not Isaac, another school. So I studied at Nova, then I came to Ischte at the time. Uh, lots of things were happening there with the creation of new master's program in finance and postgraduate degrees, etc. So I joined that group for a few years while it was still new and active and young and so on. And then it became boring and highly bureaucratic. And there was this job opening as a full professor here at ISAG, which I always thought would be the ideal place to end the academic career, like the traditional school, a lot of potential, beautifully located, lots of things to do to modernize the school in many ways. 
So that's what I did. So I came here as a professor of finance, did all sorts of things in finance here, in the masters and in the bachelors and uh, all that. And suddenly, there were elections here at ISAG, and um, who would do it, who wouldn't do it. And some colleagues of ours asked me to um, consider doing that. First, I laughed, and I thought they're crazy. But then uh, I took the challenge. Okay, so. Why did you take the challenge? Why did I take the challenge of becoming dean of ISAG? I guess for two reasons. First, um, it was a challenge, and I do take challenges. I never choose what's easy. I, I mean, we can tell from your career path. <laughs> no, it's like, but even, even when I was studying, for example, I preferred macro versus micro, so I decided to study more micro. Uh, finance wasn't really my favorite subject at the time. Mm -hmm. I found it hard and difficult. So let's do that to learn about what's difficult, etc., etc. Right. So I like um, institutions and organizations where there's things to be done and where probably you can, you can make a difference. That was my impression. And here at school, um, it, would be, it would be a new experience in management as well. So I've been an academic my whole life, making decisions every day, of course. But at some point, it would be something new and different that I could do in my career. And I actually thought that I was better positioned than the other mm -hmm. uh, potential candidates at the time, than that, that I could do something good for the school as well. So personal challenge, managerial role, um, and doing something good for the school. This is also the school where my father studied many years ago. So, so there's, that, there's that special respect towards the institution. So I can tell from personal perspective, at least, that your impact in the school has been absolutely astounding, for sure. Like, we've noticed the, the, for the differences. For what's good and for what's bad. For the good and for the bad. We know, we know. <laughs> an impact is an impact, for sure. I know, there is so an So you impact. can see that for more than a decade, there was and still are things to do at ISEC. Oh, there are many things to do at ISEC. So you have Time never a stops. Whole plan for that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have a whole plan for that, but I hope I can contribute the whole time to yeah. um, positively. Well, I, mean, I hope. Since you, uh, when you were talking about the career path, it was always very spontaneous, right? Yeah, uh, it is. Yes. Do you take that approach when managing his egg? When well? managing the school, I do have a plan, mm -hmm. and I never forget what I think is essential and what I think is really important. So, but of course, unexpected things happen like the pandemic right. and having to make you know, changes in your original plans and you have to be flexible and agile in that mm -hmm. sense. So in my opinion, you need to be extremely decisive, not authoritative because it doesn't right. work at all in a university, but you have to be the one who makes the decisions in the end. You listen to everyone and you make the decision, right or wrong, in the end it was always the right decision because you did your best given right. the information you had at the time. So, but, I mean, you don't always do what you like and the way you like to do things. You have to compromise here and there, but I never lose track of my main objectives. That's true. I never lose track of that. And sometimes I have to do other things that come in the way and that, you know, become priorities because of the circumstances, but I never forget what I think is really most relevant for, for the school. And in the end, we have to think about um, the reputation of the school in the future and what will happen to the students that we have now and to the ones that we want to attract here right. for the coming years. So, so never I mean, I never forget that, I think. So, and, and I hope you didn't, don't mind, but I went to check your LinkedIn, of course. Okay. You know? So, and, and you said you never left the, the academia, right? Yeah. But uh, let me just check my notes. I do uh, a lot of things. There are a lot of things you also do. Uh, you're a board member, a chairperson, and a member of a board of advisors at yeah. the same time as being Dean of Isaac. Yeah, so true. How can you manage that? And still, you know, radiate your characteristic positivity. How is it possible? Okay. 
Well, let's see. Number one, I sleep very little. In general, <laughs> that's true. I don't sleep a lot, so my 24 hours last for very long compared to most people that I, that I deal with on a daily basis. So um, I'm a hard worker, okay? Right. So, and these other activities, my main activity is obviously the school, and that's my only executive activity. So right. where, so that's my full, it's a full-time job, and I take it as a full-time job, definitely. And it doesn't end when I leave the school here. Yeah. So at night, there's more to do and to think about, and to, so, so there's a lot to be done. But there are other things that we also do that I, that, I mean, it's inevitable that I have contact with companies, with uh, financial institutions, with um, in organizations that deal, for example, the one where I'm in, in the advisory board, with the sustainability issues and uh, newer topics, more recent topics like that. And of course, we must contribute as well. It's important for me personally, for me professionally to be aware of what's new, of what's happening, of what are the trends. It's also a way of influencing the actors in the market. And it's important for the school, in my opinion, that I am present in some of these organizations. Because people invite me because of my CV, but also because I'm Dean of ISAG. And because that's a way of um, being establishing a connection between the school and the practical world, which is very relevant for everyone else. So, so there's always a way of, I mean, I couldn't be, I couldn't be doing this and uh, being the CEO of a company, okay? Right. It would be impossible. But having a non-executive um, role in some of these organizations, I think, I mean, it, it has been possible so far. Um, so yeah. you've given your input to them. Do you feel like uh, those positions have given an input to you and uh, absolutely. contributed oh, to the absolutely. Oh, absolutely. So it's, it's important that whoever runs a school of economics and management understands how the business world works, right. for example. And so being an insider there as well mm -hmm. uh, helps us become, in my case, better researchers, mm -hmm. better teachers, and better managers, I hope. At least um, I think that, that that effect is there. And right. to me personally, it has enriched me. Okay. And that's a good word of the, the use of the word insider, uh, because we, in finance when we think of insider, insider it's training, all, exactly, yeah, that's all you, need, you to need to be aware. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, but but my first research area was actually on corporate governance and those issues right. and conflicts of interest. So I, I'm aware of that. Of <laughs> I'm aware of that. Um, so as a master uh, in finance student, uh, mm. I'm very pleased because once again, Isaac uh, has made its mark on the financial times ranking yeah. as the 35th. Yeah. I think, best yeah. masters in finance in the world. Yeah, true. So what does that mean to you, uh, to me, and to the whole school? I mean, I don't know what it means to you. I can As imagine... As a student in general. Thing ...or to the whole school. But I know, I think that to the school, it's great that we have a masters in finance that's in the top, you know, in the list of best masters in the world in, such, in a topic that's so competitive and that all schools in the world invest in. So knowing that our masters in finance is you know, top 35 in the world in the Financial Times rankings is amazing. For me, personally, I cried a lot when we achieved that two years ago. You cannot imagine, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a dream come true in some ways, a professional dream come true in some ways, because I remember when I joined here the Masters in Finance, for example, it was fully taught still in Portuguese, um, which, which is okay for some Masters, but to be ranked later and assessed for this, you would need to have a program with some different features. So what I see is the result of many changes introduced during these last few years, 
And by last, I mean 10, I don't mean just right. two or three years, okay? So it's something that we have to think about and organize and prepare carefully. And, uh, and, and the recognition of the effort of many of our faculty members who really are so dedicated to the program, right? So I attended the second year class of the seminar uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was so proud of my colleagues who were making that presentation and of all the extra elements that they have introduced in yeah. the program. So, so what I, f I felt, you know, professionally accomplished with right. the FT rankings for the Masters in Finance. I mean, I'm happy when something like that happens in the school at all levels for all programs. I'm just, you know, extremely happy and ecstatic. And um, I don't know if I irradiate positivity, but I know that I'm extremely happy when I'm supposed to and that I take it um, fully, okay, wholeheartedly but in finance specifically because it was the program I used to be the coordinator of. It was, you know, extremely... So when I got the email message that morning for the first time when we entered the rankings, because, it, you know, it's unknown. Of course, I knew there were schools there with masters there that I knew are much worse than ours and that their students are not as well prepared as ours. So I, I, I had the conviction that in terms of absolute value of the masters of the program, we should be there compared to other schools that were there. But you're never sure, right? It can be political. It can be the way in which people re respond to those surveys. You never know, so, you know, I can tell you. I cried like my whole family, they, they couldn't stand me anymore. It was, it was bank holiday two years ago. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the, the absolute value of the master because it is a great program, and I talk with a lot of students from right. the other universities, and we can tell the difference in most cases. Yeah. But what about uh, student positioning? Uh, okay. Do you feel like students need to go to bigger or larger financial hubs, like London or Frankfurt, to get a better job or a better initial job than in Portugal? Um, well, in some ways, perhaps, okay? Perhaps not so much the initial job. The initial job, getting acquainted with uh, how financial institutions work, you can do that here, except that um, banks and so on haven't been uh, recruiting so much in the last few years, first because of the financial crisis, then because of the sovereign crisis, then whatever. We know what's happening. So there aren't as many opportunities as we wanted, but so far we've had like full employment of our students. And, um, and the truth is that the market has become very global. So, and uh, of course, in many ways, you will have more opportunities if you enlarge your horizons because everyone is competing in that, in that arena, right? So everyone's thinking globally and in finding a job that can take you anywhere, truly. So those financial centers, perhaps, larger financial centers will have um, more a larger quantity, let's say, of interesting jobs in finance, whereas in a smaller market uh, like the Portuguese market and so on, you won't have so many people recruiting um, youngsters for something right. like this. But there is the potential to renew, and that, and that I can see. And for example, even banks that currently are reducing staff and so on, at the same time, they are recruiting younger, more qualified people for, uh, to strengthen the, um, their, their, their staff and to increase productivity in a way with um, more skilled, right. better qualified, clever people who... Better more masters So there, there are opportunities here. There are opportunities here for the future. Um, let's just see if the market in Portugal is prepared to pay better. Right, that's always the For problem. starting positions, right? Otherwise, in many ways, the strong investment that the, the country and the schools make in um, educating very highly qualified 
um, young students who then become masters in finance, for example, then if they all leave, the investment that we are making at a country level, let's say, might not be sufficient. So might not, we, we might not see the return of that so obviously. So there's perhaps something to be done regarding better conditions for younger people who start jobs, who start working in Portugal right now. So that's something that perhaps um, the authorities should consider in the future. And do you, are you confident that that will happen in the short term? Um, I don't know if it will happen in the short term, okay, given that we are recovering from this, now it's the pandemic. We're always in a crisis in one yeah. way or the other. On the other hand, it's interesting, right? Yeah. Life isn't simple. If it were, we wouldn't be needed anyway. Yeah. So, um, but I guess like uh, within the next five to ten years, this thing has to be sorted, right? right. So something must be done. Mm -hmm. um, we come from a time when, you know, the level of qualification of, of the Portuguese professionals, of the, of the population in Portugal was very low compared to anywhere else in Europe or, you know, or large cities in the US, for example. Uh, still much better than some underdeveloped countries. I mean, you're always complaining about our country. It's great, okay? Our concern is whether we are able to continue this um, path, we are, whether we are able to keep the right people here to make us more productive as well in some ways. So, but I, I see the opportunity there, I think. Uh, but we follow up on that. Uh, when we compare uh, the, in the education environment here in Portugal mm. with the rest of the world, what do you feel are the, the largest benefits and flaws, uh, you know, compared to students that study elsewhere? Um, <laughs> well, elsewhere can be many, many different parts right, of the of world, course. right? So it's hard to generalize like that. I'd say the following, I'd say that in general, um, some people might not like this, but I, I, my impression is that in general, sometimes we leave people behind, okay, which is not nice in our educational system, but it's because in general it is demanding compared to, most, uh, to what you see in most other countries. So our high school system, if you complete all that, if you complete those 12 years of education fully, etc., you are very well prepared in general, okay, compared to everyone else. And our universities here at bachelor's level tend to be competitive uh, when we look at European standards, for example. So typically a student who leaves ISEG uh, completing the undergraduate degree and goes anywhere in the world or anywhere in Europe, let's say, so that it's a little bit more comparable, will find it reasonably easy and will be comfortable doing the master's degree, which is something that's of comfort to us, okay? Right. So it is demanding, the quantitative areas are there, etc. Things that we don't do so much in Portugal and that in some other countries perhaps um, there is a tradition of, of doing it a bit more. Debating, formally debating and um, developing those skills with, um, with the students, okay? Making presentations, etc. But that's something that traditionally we didn't do, but these days we are doing more and more. So, so what's important is that, in my opinion, we don't lose that traditional component that makes us strong, prepared to learn more in the future. I mean, no one will leave university knowing everything they will need to know their whole lives, right? But if you leave the school with a solid knowledge of the subject area in which you are starting to work, and you still, and, and you still keep your brain active and able to learn more and to adapt to new circumstances, you'll do very well. So, 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 so that's really what I think, I mean, uh, it's a demanding system, in my view. Perhaps we have the idea that our students in Portugal 
tend to be quieter in the rooms compared to right. other countries. So we still have the lectures, people watch the lectures. Uh, students would always participate so much actively in those classes, but it has improved over the years. And, and the schooling system and universities in particular, despite the pandemic period, um, are trying to give more space for students to develop their own activities like you have with your, with your Lisbon Investment Society and so on, and to organize your own things and to become more independent and autonomous as well. I mean, it can't be everything done that, oh, the dean decided that now we're doing this. Of course not, right? I mean, you're adults, mm -hmm. and uh, that's the way you should be treated and start developing your own um, initiatives. I mean, we have so many associations here at Izeg. It's, it's clear true. that the students want to do more, and that's really great to see. Right, as long as you, I mean, and you should have the opportunity to develop those other skills, but, but, it, I, in, but in some ways it has to be natural as well, right? Yeah. You can't all be plastic, like, oh, now they're very good at presenting, and everyone makes the pitch in the same way, and everyone does this and that. At some right. point, you start losing um, spontaneity, mm. and that's something that you cannot teach, but in a way, sometimes you end up, you know, you can communicate that you, right. that thing of being yourself. It's not just something that you say to make it sound good, right? It's just something that at some point in your life, you can't live a lie your whole life. So, right. <laughs> so developing those skills, allowing people to be a little bit more spontaneous here and there, that's something that perhaps needs to be improved in our educational system. But, but I find it competitive when I look at, them, at what happens to our students who continue their studies abroad or who start working elsewhere, they tend to do well. Yeah, quite a few of them. And moving on to, to another topic, on a more personal note, I am inter very interested in working in two somewhat distinct areas, but okay. in related finance, investment banking and asset management. Mm -hmm. And I find when I scroll through LinkedIn on Portuguese students that are working in Portugal in those areas, the list is very thin. It is. So what do you think is my outlook here? Yeah, in Portugal, you know, there aren't so many interesting jobs. Uh, like that at the moment, right? I'm sorry, every, there's always someone calling, I apologize. <laughs> um, so, um, there are some interesting jobs and, um, and, and some larger banks or even international entities that have some offices in Portugal elsewhere or, or, or um, in Lisbon or in Porto. Um, there are also sometimes good opportunities to be recruited and to spend some time abroad in these multinational organizations right. that will allow you to get more experience elsewhere. So that's something that you get even in Portuguese um, financial institutions. But your outlook, if you really want something that's extremely challenging and so on, in the short run, you probably want to consider something, yeah. something abroad. Um, that's something that you, you, you must keep in mind. On the other hand, Sometimes we have in our minds the idea that oh, I really want to work in investment banking or to be an asset manager and this and that. And okay, perhaps you want to do it for a few, perhaps you don't want to do it forever. And there are very interesting jobs in which someone with uh, the right skills from finance will be able to contribute immensely in other types, in corporations, in other types of companies that really need someone who understands how to get the right financing for different types of strategies, a good financier is also a good manager, so yeah. there's everything in there. So you can think of, you know, conducting a business. Not you don't need to be the CFO the whole life. You can 
Yeah, I mean, that would be examples. very stressful for, for once, you know, like uh, my life expectancy would drop Im immediately if I chose like to be investment banker or CFO for my whole yeah, life. Yeah, it can be very stressful, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of pressure because, you know, the markets are very volatile. It's part of the deal, right? We value things based on uh, expectations. Right. And uh, there's a little piece of news and uh, you immediately revise your Excel, you change one, yeah, that's it, yeah, right? Yeah. You go to your file, you change one number and everything changes and all the values change and people trade and this and that. But on the other hand, it's active, yeah. it's interesting. Question that, uh, do you think the markets are efficient? And uh, I know, you're a <laughs> professor of finance, you've been asked this question a while of time. In the, finance, the market efficiency, like yeah. the FAMA definitions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> market efficiency. Yes, I think the markets are efficient. Even considering, you, you talk about expectations, of course, you value your company based on the... In terms of reflecting the information that exists. Right. Uh, perhaps some people, I don't know if some people overreact in some ways mm -hmm. or uh, what, what justifies so much need for trading, right? But uh, what if I value uh, some information in right. a different way that you do? Right. Yeah. Uh, we will trade uh, differently in some ways and the price will reflect our average somehow okay. or and our is best that average um, I mean value. it's the best um, fair value I mean it, it's a it's a it's a bit subjective isn't it right because right. We, we we're not going to reach the same final valuation because mm -hmm. this is not an exact science mm -hmm. right and uh, our valuation models tend to consider that you know uh, security stock prices or uh, any security that they behave as if they were, they followed some stochastic process or something right. like that. It's as if it's not reality. In reality, it's us trading that makes <laughs> things yeah. evolve. So um, those are representations of reality. And um, it's not really true that anything follows a normal distribution or uh, mm -hmm. those are representations of, of reality. It's different. So, um, but from my experiences from trading or from observing people trading and so on. Um, yes, I think that sometimes you might have some special circumstances, but in general, the prices you see there are meaningful, okay? Right. They do reflect the views of the participants in the market about those. Of course, we can disagree sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but that's because we have different um, assumptions. And uh, we can see the different it's parameters. Not the, about insider trading, at least. It's not some. I, I don't think it's about insider trading so much. I think okay. there is a lot of scrutiny these days. I mean, sometimes it can happen. Crime can always happen mm -hmm. in whichever area of our lives. Okay, we can think of. Uh, but there is also a lot of scrutiny these days. So if something like that happens, there is hopefully punishment afterwards. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay, so you really believe that these days it's uh, it's neglectable. I think it's neglectable. Okay. Okay. I think it's. I think there are other things that are more serious than that. Um, right. Than, uh, I think so. So, uh, as a final note, you talked about a lot of stuff, and I think we're approaching our time. <laughs> um, could you just, for us students, could you tell us what do you think are the most important characteristics to differentiate ourselves from our peers when we're competing in a job market? So, what f should we do? What traits should we develop? Okay, when you are trying to find a new job or the first job or something like that. But, um, okay, um, number one, this is not with a specific order <laughs> of okay. importance, right. okay? But number one, be confident about your personal portfolio, okay? Don't overestimate, don't underestimate yourselves compared mm -hmm. to others, right? So 
many schools in the world have this tradition of incentivizing in their students the culture of we're the best, whatever. That's not necessarily true, and no one is better than anyone else in every aspect. Right. So you need to identify your strengths, but be confident, okay? Trust what you've done, trust what you've studied, stick to what you've studied as a starting point, and that you, are, you have that solid knowledge, and be confident that what you know is not less than what the others you are competing against know. So at the same time, so, so go with confidence when you are being interviewed, when you discuss with people, say, okay, this is what I've done, this is, you know, pretty good compared to what everyone else can do. I'm only 20-something, and um, this is already right. what, I, what I have to offer. Second important aspect um, that matters, um, be serious about your work, okay? Uh, when you work, it's going to be, this is going to be a serious moment in your life. So you better enjoy what you do, but working is not just, you know, like going to the movies or to the beach. Right, working will have many days in which you feel a little bit lost, in which you are tired, etc. But be persistent there, be serious about your work, take it seriously. Have the, adopt this, this professional attitude. There is a lot of discussion these days on what, um, one thing I hate when recruiters come to school or whatever, is when they talk about, oh, the kids, right. the kids when we are recruiting, the well, for kids, they're adults, right? Um, so don't let people treat you as uh, children. You're serious about your work and you are committed to that. Sometimes what recruiters say is difficult these days is that younger people who are starting their jobs, these new generations, the Z, this and that, right. um, uh, they're not willing to make sacrifices in terms of, because you are considered, you, you want to take time for your personal lives, for this and that, of course that's relevant, right? That you have a balanced life. But sometimes we, might, we must also understand that organizations require in special moments a little bit more of us. So better understand exactly what what the deal is when you are being recruited and when you are starting a job, be serious about what do you really need me to do and what are the future, the perspectives, you know, in the future, what can we do here? So just be serious about what you're doing. Uh, and, um, and, and, you know, and act normal, right? Don't pretend to be someone else. That's, that's, the, that's the final recommendation that I would make. I mean, whoever recruits you and the CEO and whoever is there, and they're just, you know, normal people. They've been through exactly the same process you're going through. Um, and they're humans and they still remember, okay? Right. They still remember. You don't need to be too shy. If you have doubts about things, just share your doubts with whoever is your boss or whoever you're working with. I mean, and your doubts can be as simple as something specific about the task that you're doing, something technical and so on. Share and ask, should I study this? Should I, should I find more about this? Should I do that? But it can be something as, what should I wear? What should I do? I mean, am I, is this like the right behavior? Should I prepare specially? Just ask. Ask, don't be shy about that. Just ask and... Um, and, and be kind to people. If you're, being kind to people is also something that will reward you in the long difference. run. Makes a difference. Okay. Makes a difference. Look people in the eye. There are many schools I know of and that I've been to and that I visit and so on, in which it's very hard to establish eye contact, proper eye contact with their students, mm -hmm. right? Uh, that's one advantage that you have here at school. Right. <laughs> Most of our students, when, when you talk to someone that you meet everywhere, you're used to talking to older adults as well, right. like it or not.
like it or not. And that's something that there's um, that extra element there. Um, yeah. So if you had to say that you're recruiting for some reason and you have to say one characteristic, point out one characteristic in the candidate that is the most important for you to look for, what would it be? Okay, so it depends on the kind of job you're looking for, okay? So right. it's not the same recruiting for uh, asset management or recruiting for uh, the communications or HR in a company. Mm -hmm. You might be looking for different characteristics. So the academic curriculum is very important, right? Especially at, in starting stages of someone's career, you want certification that that person really did well what they right. did before. So, so you look into that and you look at the quality of the institution that person came from, right? If you're coming from ISAG, I'm just using this example, of course, yeah. then you know oh, it's credible and so on. And even for international jobs, the fact that you put in your CV, uh, Financial Times, Masters in Finance, right. whatever, that's, ben that's, benefit, that's of benefit to you uh, in a Masters in Finance or from any other degree here at school. It's something that everyone should include in their CVs because there's like international, um, international standards that are you know, seen by everyone. Um, it's hard to recruit based on that, but if you feel like when you are interviewing someone and you go through the tests and so on, so you might see how people work or discuss things with colleagues in a group, that might be relevant for some jobs. If you are interviewing or discussing something with someone and you think you can trust that person, right? So the gut feeling is also very important. The gut feeling on whether can I trust this person to do right. this? Right? If you if you are trustworthy, so it's this measure. So if you're looking for a job in finance, everyone will tell you that integrity will be characteristic mm -hmm. number one because of the bad media that right. the finance yeah. area got for many years. But if you if you seem to be trustworthy, besides the academic ability, mm -hmm. right? If you're trustworthy, that's the way to go. So Trust someone. In general, generally in general, speaking, I think that in a way that you one. you want someone that you trust will do it that you trust will, will, will accomplish okay. with your common objectives, right? Okay. Yeah, there's no sharing without mm -hmm. trust. Right. And if you're joining an organization, that's part of the deal. It makes all the difference. Yeah, of I so, so I think that's a good note to, to finish our conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm just uh, left to, with appreciating for you taking your time yeah, off yeah, your yeah. busy schedule. I know you have a lot of stuff to do. Well. And <laughs> I'm very pleased that you came yeah, over and talked to us. Great pleasure to be with um, students here at ISAG. And Liz, in particular, I remember from when, when, the, when this club started and so on. So delighted to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much, me. Professor Clark. Mm -hmm. And thank you to our listeners for, again, tuning in. And I hope you check this episode in full. And, of course, our other episodes available on Spotify and YouTube. Thank you. Thank you.